Roger. Yeah, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. Is what? Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. the tape with Johnny Pemberton, a.k.a. Jimmy Jackson, a.k.a. the Jackson Casper Crass, a.k.a. Daddy, Big Daddy, Double Daddy, Extra Wide with the burlap sack laid out, the thick, old-style burlap, the kind you can save and use again. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about a grocery store bag, I'm talking about burlap. A thick mat, oiled up with hand touch. It's ready to catch your droppings. Daddy's got this. This is floor mats on his big old red truck. Here on Live the Tape, where Daddy drives his big red truck straight into the office. He smashes the window with his special hand and breaks that glass. And he don't give a freak about tips, okay? Welcome to Live the Tape. This is a special edition, as always a special edition. It's a full-on SE guest, bless, pass, the pest, double touch, micro glass. <laughs> I just thought of something dumb, that's why I laughed. There was this stuff that we used to let this stuff there was this stuff we used to laugh at. It was a product called called Double Touch, no, Double Look Microwear, I think. It was like this fucking special swimsuit uh, company made by this guy in Wisconsin who fucking, <laughs> he made like these bikinis that were so small that they were barely bikinis, but it was made by some guy in Wisconsin. It was called Double Look Microwear. It's probably still around. Google it. Check it out. The best is I, I just had to say that. <laughs> I had so, to remind myself of that. Just had to remind myself that existed. Here, I'm live to tape with Johnny Pemberton at a great, outstanding 
a special, fun, cool new episode. If you don't know about it, there's a Patreon page for the, for the uh, podcast. It's called patreon.com slash live tape. Also, uh, coming soon is a Christmas present for everyone. I'm probably going to drop this maybe either on Christmas Day or maybe like fucking... Fucking... Uh, maybe a New Year's thing. The uh, the Spotify playlists are they're gonna drop down the tube. Right now we're listening to a uh, Todd Terje edit of a um, a song by Chic, which I think you've recognized. It's called "I Want Your Love." You know this stuff. Otherwise, I was had some funny stuff I was thinking about sharing, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to it for a second right now. Just because that's not this isn't the place right now. There's so much meat on the bones already. Why put a bunch of fat at the top when the bones are just brimming? They're bristling with meat. The bones are bristling with meat. The bones that I got, they're filled with meat. It's gonna be such a good treat. You're not gonna know when you hit it when you hit that meat. You're gonna think it's a bone. Then it's gonna yield to your teeth. You're gonna push and pull and find out what's beneath. It's called meat, it's what's beneath. Beneath is what's there. You thought it was good, but guess what? You're not a Wolverine, you don't have that hair. If I was a Wolverine, I'm gonna do what I want, but I'm not. This is an outstanding episode here with my guest, Jason Liu. This is a two-parter. I haven't done a two-parter in a long time because I haven't had the kind of content that justifies not so much justifies, but just literally having that type of content you can split. This is a beefy boy. So I split it. Uh, this is the part one of the Jason Louvre episode. You're going to love it. Get into it. Get slick. Get hot. Get wishy. Um, please get in touch. Check out my Instagram. <laughs> it's, it's my Johnny underscore Pemberton. Just got to promote, you know, you never know. I might have a show coming up that I don't know I have. I don't think I do, unless you want to see me in Tokyo. And I believe the, uh, I believe the, uh, I believe it's uh, going to be the 19th of December in Tokyo, Japan. Otherwise, that's all I got for you. Check out this amazing episode. Enjoy. Please be sure to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. If you haven't, I don't know even why you're even here, how you even found out it, found out about it. But please also, not, in addition to rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast, share it with your friends and loved ones, people you think uh, will enjoy it. Because you'd be surprised what people don't know. You'd also be surprised what they do know. Life is like an old car. Moments of joy surrounded by endless maintenance. But here's the trick. Make the maintenance the joy. Good. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You can sit down. You can close it if you like it. Jason Lou. Jason Lou. Jason Lou. Yep. Jason Lou. Yep. That has Media Center written on it in sharp. Yeah, it's, this is from the Media Center. You can sit over there if you want. And what, I just saw, I was just seeing, are those Korg or something? I just saw those on. These are Korg. These are made by Korg, yeah. What do those, what do, those do? They, uh, you'll see. 
Duncan, um, Jason Lou. What's that? Yep. Duncan infected me with his music, music production madness. Oh, yeah. So I've been going into that. I like to think, I, I feel like I'm some part of the initiation of that, but he's taken oh, yeah. a different path. What's your path? Well, I don't know. I think I, I used to be really into, uh, well, I like stuff like this a lot. Oh, it's headphones there if you want to use them. That way you can hear it. How far away? Like. Right? This is like a $2,000 microphone. Yeah. It's like the NPR mic. This is, I think, I think NPR wishes these were their... NPR wishes these were their mics, don't they? Damn, how'd you get this set up? This is amazing. Here we are inside. Um, we're inside deep and underground here. My guest today is Jason L., also known as... Jason Lou. Jason Lou. Is that correct, sir? That is correct. Awesome. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you uh, coming into the zone. I feel like we need some music in the background here. Just to get things started, so just you know, start off the um, start off the brain sort of thing, make it feel good. This is always a good one, isn't it? Hi, hi, how are you? Hello, Johnny. Hi, welcome, uh, welcome to the pitch. This is the this is the, the solid state survivor EP. It's good. Everything you need. I've got everything I need. I have a. It's good to have a good brain. You wouldn't want a bad brain. You wouldn't want a bad brain unless you're the band Bad Brains, which somehow I never really ever listened to. That's shocking. Is it? It's shocking. The uh, we used to. I had a friend who knew the singer from Bad Brains. I think he quit and worked in a grocery store in upstate New York. The singer or the guy who knew him? The singer. Well, okay. yeah, the singer. <laughs> you're telling the story of a guy who knew someone. I knew like, a guy who knew a guy. It's one of those stories. Yeah. That's my that's my name dropping. I knew he, a guy. I didn't know he quit to do that. That's interesting. I think he had. It's too stressful for him. Too stressful of a lifestyle. It living out of a van. Living out of a van, touring, doing all that crap. Yeah. Eating ramen. <sighs> Jason, well, what's up? Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. You're quite this welcome. Is, this is sort of um, and the anticlimactic game of the podcast. You have uh, like the Mount Everest of, of podcast studios. This is the most amazing one I've I've seen. I think. Well, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't. It's not mine. I do share this with a lot of people. This is a lot of people use the studio. I would just like to say I like to think but you I have use a stake it, in it. I think I use it best. Got it. Right, guys? <laughs> I always am surprised, not surprised, I guess, but I'm always impressed how nice things sound and you realize like, oh, they sound really nice because because that's how this is meant to make things sound nice. Even if it's being recorded and like if it's being smashed down into a small or smaller format, it still sounds Sounds fucking great. It's nice to be nice, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, the great wisdom of the Buddha. It's nice to be nice, Johnny. Really? I've never heard that before. I know, it's, it's, not, it's a pretty it, controversial statement. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite sure how. Can you talk about it a bit? Because, uh, I mean, I don't know how to introduce you. How do you describe yourself? Because you do a lot of different things. Yeah, I'm an author. I'm an, an author. author. I'm a crazy writer. Okay. Crazy writers do crazy stuff. We have crazy brains. That's and true, we, right? We get interested in all different kinds of, kinds of things. But I've written a lot about the esoteric and spirituality. And I've been a journalist. I've traveled the world learning sacred teachings. I've... I have a podcast now, Ultra Culture with Jason Liu. It's really picking up. And nice. So now I'm now I'm in this crazy podcaster world because it's a great, it's it's super fun. Yeah, it's a fun place to be because nothing matters. It's kind of like <laughs> there's no there's well, I guess you could say there's stakes, but there's no precedent. There's no like oh you're doing it wrong. 
Right. You can kind of do whatever that. you want. I love that. It's like the most exciting medium right now, I think. You can do anything. It's not true in any other medium. Yeah. Plus, it's you can actually talk to people like a normal person. You can. You know? And I think people people appreciate it when you do. They're sort of like, oh, we. it's nice. You get, you get used to hearing from someone. And if you don't, you get disappointed because it's sort of like it becomes a, like a TV show or something where you just want to, even if it is boring or whatever it's still like oh it's still that person they're all no matter what i say it's me saying it right well it's like having it's like having more friends in your life yeah an extra friend with a with a one-way one-way relationship right yeah right what's so, the latest book that you wrote all right so i just put out a book called well not just it's been hey, a while what's now. the latest book you hey. wrote <laughs> you know i used to get questions like that when i was when i was uh, growing up because i was i was everyone knew me as the writer in high school really? i remember going to senior prom and my my prom dates dad the first thing he said to me was hey when are you gonna write my autobiography you had written back then yeah, well, I was That's like the writer cool. kid in high school, but like you know, so you get questions like that. Where did you go to high school? In San Diego. San Diego. Yes. That's always. I'm always not surprised uh, when I meet someone who's really interesting and weird like yourself. They always end up coming from places that are kind of like either um, culturally like bar- vapid. Just, yeah, vapid, <laughs> or it's like there's so much going on that it's I don't know. It's all San Diego seems to be like a prime case for it because yeah it's yeah we produced Tom Waits uh, I think Frank Zappa I didn't lived know in, that Frank Zappa lived in San Diego at least I think for a while he's from Palmdale though isn't he from like fucking shit town well people move around I oh. think but he grew up in San Diego hmm. I'm not Diamanda Galas grew up in in, in San Diego Who's went that? to school there so in, in one, the most intense goth singer of all time oh what band uh just herself man so see i don't i know what i know about goth music from my wife who is a A old school california disney goth oh yes that's a real thing i remember when i first saw my first disney goth speaking of san diego everything was so boring there and yes of course if you grow from a boring if you come from a boring town you have to create your own world and that's why these you know boring places produce interesting stuff but i remember going to disneyland and seeing my first disneyland goths Uh because i think it was the first time i'd seen goths besides myself out in the wild it was like it was like a like a lemur that has grown (laughs) up in isolation that sees another lemur and it's like what is that? Um, it must have been exciting. Yeah. It was exciting, yeah. It was back in the 90s, so they had, like, the stripy leggings and Marilyn oh, Manson yeah. lunchboxes and that type of thing. What was that? What got you into goth music? Um, growing up in San Diego and being really bored and isolated. Because San Diego's basically like if college, if a state college was a city. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pretty much. It kind of has it's that pretty feel. Much. Yeah, There's some counterculture, but it's like basically that. like, hey, what's up, dude? Tacos. Fuck yeah. And oh, the tacos dude. are great. Don't get me wrong. Oh, tacos, they're, they're great. I think San Diego has better food and drink than all of L.A. for the most part. I enjoy my that time That is absolutely there. true. Yeah. Yeah. But, so you uh, got into goth music then because yeah. it was sort of a necessary thing? Well, it's like, you know. When you're growing up and you're intelligent and you're bored, you look for an out. Some people start bands, some people become comics, some people, you know, get into filmmaking. Whatever it is, you need like that vehicle to get you out and get you to an exciting life when everyone around you is like, you know, pregnant at 19 (laughs) or working at you know best buy <laughs> yeah working at taco bo- uh, uh, taco slop on the corner right. you know um so for me it was writing and books and literature and it was also 
you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, I was interested in, in goth stuff, but for me, that was kind of a passing thing. For me, I got really fascinated with the esoteric and weird spirituality and kind of counterculture spiritual practices and that whole that idea of magic and the occult and all this stuff. And that kind of became my thing, like if I'd started a punk band or something. Was there like a book that you found that was like, oh, you know what I mean? Because I think a, a lot of people find like an Aleister Crowley book or something like that. And that's sort of their, their gateway into that thing. Cause it seems so, it's so novel when you're that young and it's also seems so bad. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, well, for me, it actually wasn't that like most people are like, dude, what do these signs on the Led Zeppelin four album mean? Right? You know, like they do that thing. But for me, like I always laughed at it, like, like all the books you see, you know, back then it was all like airbrush dragons and stuff like that. Like the type of the, yeah. the, the covers of the books were the type of thing you would see airbrushed on the side of someone's van. Yeah. And that was too much for me. I was, you know, I was, you know, a little hesitant about that. But I found a book called The Occult by Colin Wilson, who was an okay. English existentialist philosopher. How old is that book? 1969. Okay. And it shows. It's like this very, like, wooly turtleneck incense cloud. It's like something you would see in, like, Garth Marenghi's Darth Pl uh, Dark Place if yeah. you've ever seen that show. It's like someone saying, hey, man, look, look, man, it's just it's that. <laughs> well, actually, no, it was very, I mean, it's a bit like that, but it was very scholarly. Uh -huh. And his whole take was he was an existentialist who analyzed um, real outsiders, People who were real cultural outliers, like he looked at Nijinsky and um, Rasputin and like these real geniuses. And mm -hmm. his, his intellectual project was looking at geniuses and saying, what makes them different? Right. Whether it's a mental genius like uh, Schopenhauer or somebody like that or a physical genius like Nijinsky or, or whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. wherever they excel, what is it that makes those people excel? And he called it faculty X. He says there has to be some theoretical thing that some people have and others don't. So, for instance, David Bowie. What like, you just said? What? what did you say? You said something X. Faculty X. So it's basically like term you're, for you're it. basically talking about the X factor, the talent show. On, <laughs> which is yes. What is the, the X factor? It's they're not all that trained. different, right? It's the same thing. They're, they're basically talking about a, an unquantifiable thing that is. It's sort of ethereal, right? Yes, but in the case of, of uh, Wilson's theory, it was it was it was like the X factor, but also different in the sense that he thought that people had to completely make a uh, like a dramatic break from social norms to get that. Okay, he thought they had to break from the consensus trance. Yeah. So, like case in point, like like how do, or how are David Bowie and you know somebody, you know, like the woman road raging behind me in traffic on the way to get over here, like kind of in the, within the How same the, human spectrum, you yeah. know, so, uh, and I don't have an answer for that. Maybe it's just good marketing. I don't know. But, uh, but he, that was his intellectual theory and he became the darling of, of England. They thought he was England's answer to Jean-Paul Sartre in the fifties, in the fifties when okay. he wrote his first book in his twenties. But then existentialism fell out of fashion and so did he and he started getting into the occult because his next question was well if this faculty x exists mm -hmm. is there actually a method for turning it on yeah and then he started looking at the occult and looking at people like alistair crowley or blavatsky or gurdjieff and saying hang on a second what if there's actually a path here what if these things like meditation and yoga and ritual can actually 
catalyze this thing and turn it on. And that became his fascination. And for me as a 16-year-old, I was like, this is it. This is how I'm getting out of San Diego. Yeah. Because <laughs> it provides, it's not just this thing that seems to be random or you'd be born into it. It seems like, oh, maybe there's someone who has an idea that, oh, if you do the certain things, you can't. Was that Because that, I don't know very uh, little about, I don't know very much about magic, but I know a lot of it has to do with uh, I guess intention, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, that's a very similar type of thing. So that's that kind of how you got into magic because it's it's that idea of um, of uh, fate, the opposite of fate. You can you can make yeah. your own, you can create your own destiny as opposed to being fated towards something. Yeah, that's really yeah, exactly. I mean, it's will instead of fate. It's like yeah. can you will yourself into the life that you truly want? And and I became fascinated with that idea. And, you know, 20 plus years later, I've pretty much spent my entire life just pursuing that. I've been all over the world learning from cultures in India, in Nepal, from great, you know, from spiritual teachers in the U.S. Like, I've gone through every single esoteric practice I could get my hands on. Who's right? (laughs) Well, that's the thing. They're all right in different ways. And that that is kind of crazy making because— It's like a haircut, right? The right haircut's not right for—there's no haircut for everyone. That's right. Yeah. I just figured it out, huh? I just basically just— You got it. You're the 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 Buddha. You're you're the Buddha, Johnny. Damn. We're done. Podcast over. Everyone's and then a C sharp was heard all across the world. <laughs> so that's been my thing, and and you know I've I've spent so twenty years learning, traveling every single thing I could, writing it down. Now I wow. teach it, you know, at, at Magic.me, which is my site for it, and it's kind of been my my life. It definitely was not the life I expected to be living, but here we are. Well, it's, in a way, it's sort of you created that life, but then there's other part of you, other part of you in the world that is. There are things going behind the scenes on all of us that we can't really always control. Obviously, you can't control what you, uh, where you were born, and like kind of a lot of things about yourself to some extent. But you can control your reaction to them, right? You know, and you can you can decide what they mean to you, and you you can decide where to go next. I mean, magic sounds really. You know, what's the word magic is the problem. Yeah, it sounds highfalutin and it is, you know, and there's all this stuff like ritual and yoga and, you know, intensive meditation practices and and all that. And all that is real. It's all there. It's quite dramatic. But when you really boil it down, it comes down to catalyzing the human will and the human ability to decide and not in a trivial sense, but to almost decide to live in a completely different life or a completely different reality and to choose to be self-created and self-willed and and choose the life that you want to live instead of the one that's just you've accepted by habit or because it's the one that your parents or your teachers told you you're right. supposed to live or you're being peer pressured by your coworkers to live or, you know, most people just go along to get along. Uh-huh. And the whole magic idea is very much like it's not only like, no, strike out on your own, do your own thing, become your own person. It's also like and also here's a huge toolkit of techniques to actually do that. Mm-hmm. So. What you're saying about David Bowie being different than other people, I always think about that because uh, I feel like people, him and people like him, I guess, maybe who's, I'll just say like Lady Gaga or someone who has a name, like that's not, obviously not your name. name, You've created that name. And by creating that name, you've also created a persona. And what I know from doing comedy and character, as I do a lot of characters and stuff, is that I always find that when I'm ever, and when I'm in character, 
I feel it feels like really, really great. It feels really comfortable and I enjoy it. And I have like I never get tired of it because it's like this thing where you're living inside of a, a thing that I feel like has the uh, couple it has one factor of being a thing where, oh, I'm a character, so it doesn't really matter. So like what I say and do isn't me. It's the character saying it. So you kind of have uh, you're not as responsible. So you can kind of be yourself or, you know, not be yourself so much, but the character can be who it is without having to worry about answering for who they are. And it's this thing where, I mean, it's that combined with just you feel uh, like you have all the answers for stuff because you've just sort of make you've made decisions about what this character, oh, this character likes cheese but hates pasta. And so you know how to answer <laughs> all these questions. There's something about that. I think that there's people like David Bowie or people like him that their life has become the same way. Their entire life is essentially living the way I feel feel like when I'm in a character. Yes. And it's such a commitment, but it's like if you can do that much commitment with something, there's a lot of rewards, it seems like. Yeah. And, it's you know, there's the classic quote, if you want to hear a man tell the truth, give him a mask. Ah. You know, and that's why, for instance, in medieval Europe, there were always festivals where everyone wore a mask. And, yeah. You know, like Carnival and, thing, you know, things like this. Mardi Gras, everyone's wearing a mask because that's like the one time in the year where everyone can drop the stress of having to be themselves and keep yeah. up that front all the time. With magic, there's absolutely a thing so many... It's a shamanic thing, not just right. of wearing a mask, but of taking on a completely new persona. I mean, lots of magicians like Aleister Crowley or, or my mentor, Genesis Peorage, dropped their original name and took on a completely new name. And I remember very clearly thinking when I first started, maybe the first year in of doing magic in my, my late teens, I came to that point where I thought, you know, it would be so freeing to just completely drop this personality that had been given to me, you know, the yeah. name that was given to me by my parents, all that baggage, all the, you know, good and bad, but that whole personality that was made for me, that wasn't one that I constructed for myself and just be free of all those expectations. And I decided not to, because ultimately I thought it would be more honest, particularly talking about things like this, right. to be like, look, this is me. This is my real name. I'm putting the stuff. This, you know, this is just what I've experienced. You make of it what you will. And to kind of not have a front. Right. So I'm the one, I'm like the one magic guy who is purposefully like not cultivated a front and just be yeah. like, I'm just this guy from the suburb, suburbs who grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons, yet has also <laughs> had these insane experiences. And I'm not saying they make me special. I'm saying anybody can do them and here's yeah. how you do them. Right. What's the what when you say sane experiences? What what is something that we, um, that's in, that's that you would like to talk about? There's a lot. I mean, I want to hear one, one or two, even one or two. I mean, well, let's see. I mean, I, uh, I mean, just I the fact you because you worked with Genesis Peorage a bunch. Uh, yeah, no, I, I studied with Jim for seven years. We did a book together called wow. The Psychic Bible. That's so interesting because I I don't know a whole lot about. Genesis, but I know I watched the documentary years ago and was like, this is such a, I don't know. He gives off such a, like a, like a, like a warm energy yeah. for someone who is clearly like any person, 99% of people in the world be like, oh, you're fucking crazy, dude. But it's like, oh, hi, how are right. you? It's that weird thing where so many people 
We'll call someone batshit crazy or a lunatic or a freak. I think a freak's yeah. a good word. But then you, that freak would probably be super nice to you, and you'd be like, oh, I guess th that's just how they are. It's not like a bad or a good thing. It's just that person is that way well, uh, because— it's it's like that with a lot of um, sincere artists. I think. Yeah, I think people look. I mean, the re reality. Most people are afraid to look in the mirror. You know, <laughs> like they don't want to think about their own life. If, for instance, uh, I started going to the. Um, you know, the sensory deprivation tank a while ago. You know what ago. I thought you were going to say? I started going 24-hour fitness. I don't know why I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't I done it. I switched like, to Gold's Gym. You know? People always say I started to, it's usually working out. So I'm like, oh, 24-hour yeah. yeah, fitness? I just started uh, Tybo. I think I saw a billboard. Yeah. You're bringing Tybo back, huh? Yeah. I think it's about Billy time. Billy Blanks. Is he dead or is he in person? Is that his real name? There was another, oh, I don't another, know. another persona, Billy Blanks. Billy Blanks. Yeah, but so, but the thing is. You started to, uh. Oh, I was talking to the people at the sensory deprivation tank yeah. place, and they said you'd be you'd be surprised. Like people, when they go into these tanks, they've never been by themselves for an hour. Yeah. Like people, like I always, it's always shocking to me. But people, you know, they're very, they fill their lives with stuff, cell phone, drama, oh, talking God. to other people. Like they never inquire within, and uh, for that reason, I think that artists and mystics, they, uh, the the general public. Or it used to be this way. Now things are so chaotic that nobody knows what's going on anymore. But when there used to still be this thing called consensus reality and yeah. normal people, now that doesn't exist anymore. But normal people used to say like, oh, that guy's crazy because he's yeah. off in his own world, whether it's an artist or a, or a shaman bum. or a bum or a, a you know magician or a comic or somebody who's pursuing the beat of their own drum, as it were. And it's because they're afraid of their own reflection. They don't want to do that themselves. But mm -hmm. somebody who's been there, who's gone to, because I can tell you, I've gone to like, the highest highs and the lowest lows. I've been to amazing states of enlightenment and total darkness and hell and yeah. awful, you know, I've seen, you know, some of the worst of the worst in some cases. And, but when you go through that, you have self-knowledge and then you're nice, you know, it's like, you know, you see, you know, there's no reason to be, you know, because you've, you've, you've confronted it in yourself. When you, when you go through your own shadow as, as, you know, not to be goofy, but as as Jung put it, when you go through your own shadow and you go through your own uh, mind and the, the your own darkness, then you don't project it out into the world anymore. You've you've seen it, you've dealt with it, and then it, it, you know most people don't. So the original theory of projection, Freud's theory of projection, uh -huh. is that all of the parts of us that we don't accept. And pretend that we're not us, yeah. like the fact that you, you know, skimp on tips, the fact that, you know, you're mean to Uber drivers, the right. fact that, you know, uh, you you live in guilt for something or like whatever it is, the parts of yourself that you pretend don't exist or have cut off or even repressed, they don't go away. Right. What happens is you project them outwards and you see them in the world and then you try to attack it out in the world. Like, oh, that person embodies the part of myself that I don't like. So I'm going to go get him on Twitter or whatever wow. it is. But if you do, your, and, this was, and then Jung's whole point is like, well, you know, that's the shadow. You project your shadow. And Jung yeah. was like, no, just do your shadow. You know, come to terms. Do the inner exploration. Find out about that dark part of yourself and come to terms with it and understand it and incorporate it and heal it. And then you won't be lashing out. Because when people are lashing out, they're lashing out of themselves. Yeah. You know, I guess that's the kinda... whole world, you know. That's how genocides happen. Right. So. It seems it's sort of that thing. It's almost like the new thing that people talk about a lot, which is... Um, mindfulness in a way, right? I suppose that's that's uh, another way to put it. 
It's very popular now. But it's very popular. Mindfulness is a kind of a corporate. Mindfulness originally meant Buddhist meditation, and it meant awareness of bodily sensations. Really? Now it basically means be mindful on doing your spreadsheets because they've made it like a corporate thing. Like people get mindfulness training at their job. And God, it's like, I didn't know be, that. Oh, yeah. I better seen, be mindful of that Excel formula. There's so much stuff that I didn't realize has been sort of corporatized and commodified. I'm just not aware of it because I haven't been in that world in so long that I just don't don't know that it's out there. And I guess, because obviously mindfulness on its own sounds innocuous and great. It sounds like a good thing. When I think of mindfulness, I think of like, I hate driving, but I have to drive a lot. And when someone cuts me off or does something like that, or like a sort of petty aggressiveness, I always have to watch myself and be like, just don't, don't be angry or like pissed at that because it doesn't matter, but I find myself having to watch myself constantly with that, which makes me think it's like like you're saying, it's me projecting that element of myself mm-hmm. that the other person is doing because I would have done the same fucking thing probably. Totally. And just, uh, But it's like a constant struggle, and I, I'm like, how, how am I still— <laughs> why do I deal with this? Or like getting mad at the sound of a leaf blower— Something, anytime right. I'm like, that drives me nuts. Yeah, it drives me nuts. <laughs> but I know if it's driving me nuts, it's because there's something else I'm not dealing with because I'm allowing something like that, which obviously is annoying, patently annoying. But at the same time, it's like, like it's not like it's it's not hurting me, actively hurting me or anything. It's more just a thing where it's a perfect sort of way to to just just to kick me off of my center just enough and be like, oh, it's because of that. Right. It's because of that fucking sound. That's what it was. It wasn't because I am unable to, or it's like because this guy in the coffee shop is talking really loudly like a jerk, like sharing about it, talking about his fucking IFC pitch or something. (laughs) It's him. It's not, it's not my failing to just put my headphones on and forget about it because it doesn't really matter. It's me being like, oh, what's he doing? Oh, what's he? Oh, I have to make fun of him publicly now because of because he's being adult. Right. It's just so funny how that stuff is so constant. And like I feel like mindfulness is a way to I don't know, it's almost way I think it can be a bad thing because it's basically like saying it's like if you're if you're aware enough to to catch yourself doing the thing but not don't have the time or the energy to expend to actually deal with the source of that, you end up being in this constant loop of self-chastisation that doesn't really get anything yeah, done. And except, distraction. Yeah. You, know, you're, you're, you give your power away. Now the world has power over you. Yeah. Right? So, but the, the, you know, mindfulness is a buzz phrase now and it's been taken yeah. out of context, but the original <laughs> mindfulness in Pali is called Vipassana. Pali. Right? Wait, talking, Pali, Pali is the original language of Buddhism, right? Okay. So uh, the, the, at least in theory, the mindfulness that my, what mindfulness originally was, at least how it's taught in certain schools, is mindfulness of the body sensations. And what I mean by that is, when you be, you become you meditate on your own bodily sensations. And this <laughs> right. is a, a, a long process; it takes training. But essentially, what you oh, that's what it sounds like. Actually. Yes, that's the 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 tone of enlightenment. <laughs> that the tone heard throughout the universe at the enlightenment of the Buddha in twenty five hundred BC or five hundred BC, twenty five hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, when so basically, what you discover is that what you're really reacting to, like let's say that you hear a leaf blower and you're like, yeah. but what do you do? You immediately tense up your body and you feel this anxiety go throughout your body. Right. So what you discover is that the you're actually responding to your own bodily sensations. 
instead of the actual external stimulus. Oh, that's interesting. And then once you discover that, you realize that everything is kind of your body's response to everything around it. And that's good or bad. Yeah. And the point of Buddhism is you don't want to have a positive or negative response to anything because as soon as you love something, then it will slowly shift dually to the other side. Or as soon as you, you know, hate something, like, well, it's not quite that. It's that if you love or hate something outside of yourself, you become entangled in it. And the, yeah. the Buddhist view is like, no, just let it pass. Everything is impermanent. Everything's going to change ultimately anyways. Mm-hmm. So, the, so for instance, the Buddhist response, just to give you a demonstration, the Buddhist response to the leaf blower would be like, oh, a leaf blower tone is occurring. I'm noticing that this causes a feeling of anxiety in my body. Mm-hmm. That's unpleasant, but that's okay. I'm not going to try and change it. I'm just going to observe it. And then you just observe the feeling of anxiety that the leaf blower comes brings up in you. And then you notice that about 15 seconds later or 30 seconds later, it kind of goes away on its own accord because the body is changing all the time anyways, and you're going to be distracted by something else soon anyways. Yeah. Instead of reacting to it and going like, ah, that leaf blower. And then three hours later, you've got your hands around the neck of like a gardener and somebody's <laughs> screaming into their cell phone to the cops and your life's yeah. over, you know? So. <laughs> God, that's, that, that's sort of like that thing where... If you smile all the time, you will feel happier because your body is, is there's like that uh, biofeedback happening. Mm-hmm. It's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? Well, I truly believe that the body is the unconscious mind. Ooh. I, I'm, I'm, it's not just I believe it. Like I've yeah. noticed that I f- once I realized that through the process of meditation, everything clicked into place because in our culture we have this we make a split between the mind and the body we think they're different and oh, like, it's so we get true. wrapped up in all these abstractions and it's like no it's just your body of course any like you know like any yoga teacher can tell mm-hmm. you that any athlete can tell you that right but for me i'm an intellectual so it took me longer to figure it out what kind of meditation do you do i've done a lot um what I'm do done... you land on what's like the thing you find I mean, because I feel like for me, it was TM that was yeah. the first time it really resonated. And I was like, oh, this is this is what I've been wanting to do. Vipassana, I think the two power tools are Vipassana and Kriya Yoga. Vipassana is the one that I was just talking about. You can learn that on 10-day courses. I think, isn't TM, didn't it come from that? TM is a Vedic technique. Right, it's, it's, okay, it's I was a form Vedic. Of, it's a form of mantra yoga. Mm-hmm. And India is the source of... You know, they've been, since 10,000 years, it's been the source of meditation. Right. And there's eight limbs of yoga, one of which is mantra yoga. There's hava yoga, which is physical, bhakti yoga, which is devotional singing and kirtan. There's okay. there's jnana yoga, which is pure knowledge. There's all these different, ty- you know, types of yoga. And uh, mantra yoga is one of them, which is focusing on a mantra, repeating sound mm-hmm. so that you're, you you are focusing on that instead of letting your mind wander. TM is a form of mantra yoga, yeah. a very simplified form for right. people who... For executives. Know, <laughs> well, well, lots of people do it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a very, very simplified form of... It is very, uh, yeah. it is very that, but I, I, I kind of like it because of that, because it's so... It's just, they they took out the... Uh, they just drained all the color from something. Like, here, here it is. We boil it down to its essence. Here's it's, your McMuffin. Yeah, it's less interesting, but man, it tastes good. But, but sometimes that's good because a lot of you know, you know, every you know, that's probably one of the most popular forms of meditation. Mm-hmm. I've never done it, so I, I don't know. But David Lynch does it. And, yeah, you know. that's what I learned at the David Lynch Foundation. That was a, uh, that was part of the reason I was so interested in it because I just the I like what he does a lot, and I feel like the stuff he's talk, the stuff he says about meditation. Because I read that book, uh, Dreams, oh, I can't think what it's called. Catching the Big Fish. Yeah, Catching the Big Fish. Is that good? 
it's, I mean, it's not really a book. It's just a bunch of little, it's almost like life's little instruction book, but David Lynch. Okay. It's good. But the thing is, if you, someone told me that it doesn't really make sense unless you have, unless you know how to meditate. Mm. And then I started meditating and I looked at the book. I was like, oh, this makes total sense now because the stuff he's basically, everything he's talking about is, is through meditation. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy just how, I don't know, just how powerful that stuff can be. Well, I think that. You know, honestly, I think everyone should meditate mm-hmm. or, or at least know how. Yeah. And it doesn't, the, ultimately, the type you do doesn't really matter. Totally. It's kind of like people all. are like, well, my Chevy Camaro is better than your right. Dodge Charger, whatever. But uh, ultimately, it's the, the, the discipline is, is what matters in doing it every day because really, okay, I'll, this is how I, this is how I, this is how I, came to view meditation, right? You're, you'll, this is a very unromantic view of it. I like unromantic stuff. We live in a world of people who are not toilet trained. Right. That's true. Right. So people don't know how to deal with their own shit. So what do they do? They they throw their shit everywhere. They talk shit about people. They get shit on the walls. Yeah. They shit on other people's days. They have, sh- you know, shitty lives. But it's just because they can't clear their own shit. If you sit and you meditate. Mm-hmm. You're toilet trained. If you know how to meditate, you're a toilet trained human and you know how to process your own emotional garbage without throwing it, without projecting it onto other people. That is such a good analogy. That's basically it. That that is such a perfect analogy. I can't believe it. It's so perfect because I, when I first, like the first year I was meditating, I was so bad at talking all the time and I was really, I mean, I I have slacked off a bit in my practice for sure. So it's, there's that. But when I was really into it, I was like, man, this it makes would make sense to it made sense to me and still does to make sense to me that if every person knew how to meditate and did meditate, there would be I think there would would honestly be a significant, if not total reduction in, in almost any conceivable problem. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where it seems like it's almost like a like a joke, like the idea of that oh, how do we solve this problem? It's like it's, it's probably just give them, take 20 years. If everyone knows, knows how to meditate over a period of time, it's going to, all the things will start to clear up. Because right. everything's a function of, of dysfunction. Yeah. Well, one of the things you learn when you meditate is that everything that you think is a problem in your life is really just a story. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm not saying it's not yeah. real. I'm just saying that your experience is conditioned by the story you're telling yourself about your life. Yeah. And when you meditate, you slow down to be like, hang on. You slow down enough to say, hang on, actually, I'm writing the story and I can just end all these stories now if I like. Yeah. And then it's done. And then that's called, that's what clearing karma is. It's ending the stories. Wow. But it's funny, you know, it's like, but, but when I came to that realization, which was after, this is, this is the great enlightenment after 20 years of spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You're now you're toilet trained. Go out and prosper. You know, like that's enlightenment, right? Yeah. So, but it's hilarious to me because that's really what this is. And it's always, and this makes it even funnier when I see people turning spirituality into this huge, like, process. And it's like, oh, the great one who is toilet trained. Let him, let us put him up on that throne, <laughs> the yeah. throne where we can worship how toilet trained he is. Oh, and he we will shits put... <laughs> so well. <laughs> and the fact that they put gurus on thrones is like, again, the toilet training thing, always hilarious. That's um, so funny. Yeah. It's like, a... Oh, he is the holy one. He must have magic powers. He knows how to use the toilet. You know, God. it's like, no, he just is able to completely clear his emotional garbage and get rid, you know, he, basically somebody who is enlightened understands that the world is 100 percent subjective story and mm-hmm. can be 
stopped or stopped at will. In the case of somebody who is totally enlightened, they're just, they stop all stories and dwell in that state. In the case of somebody who's a magician, they stop all stories and, is, and then think, what else could I write? And then write something more entertaining. That's magic. Wow. Uh, wow. That's there in a nutshell. So why is it spelled M-A-G-I-C-K? <laughs> Um, it's, I've inherited that, you know, that, that's the that magic with a K is, comes down from the Western esoteric tradition. And it was written about like that in the 18th and 17th century, oh, Alistair yeah. Crowley called it that. And so I've kind of inherited this and I've tried calling it other things, right. but it never is quite as exciting. You know, it's, it's always seems a little bit. And you know, so I finally was just like, let's, you know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to be the guy. And the airbrushed man, like you know, yeah. Why not? I, I think there's something wrong with that. I think I think it's actually kind of great and better to just to go. You want some more water? Yes, please. Yeah. Listeners, you're listening to live to tape with Johnny Pemberton. I'm about to throw a, a miniature bottle of water to Jason Louv. What's your website? So I can say it right now because that's where Jason JasonLouv dot com. Everything's there. J A S O N L O U R V E. L J A S O N L O U V. Oh, the RE uh, is fell off on the way over on, through the from, Atlantic. From, you know, yeah, from I just I took French, so I want to say it that way. You know, I mean, in my head, that's how I'm, I'm seeing it. Were you Were you good at French? I was good at speaking French. Uh, that's it, though. I, I remember I had, I had a college French class. I should have failed. But because I was so good at the, doing the accent that I somehow I passed, I just oh, nice. like bullshitted my way through that fucking class. There was actually a couple people who were pissed off at the professor for passing me because they did so much more work and were so much better. Oh, boy. Like, so much better than me. And I just fucking, oh, because I, like, maybe I had a beer at the French. I didn't have beer, but I was, like, you know, um, loose. Yeah. It's funny. I, I took five years of French. <clears throat> In seventh grade, they gave us the decision, would you like to take French or Spanish? And yeah. as a 13-year-old, I was like, if I take French, one day when I am bigger, I will be able to pick up French girls. That's how I was thinking at totally. age 13. And, and so I took French, but I took five years of it, and I got a, I failed the final test. The, I got a one on the AP ten, a French Damn, test. Man. And, and I, I, was, I just became, you know, I just became a stoner, like, my last two years of school. So it was—actually, uh, that's not totally true. I just remember being stoned on a French class field trip and having to eat escargot oh. while stoned. That was, that was rough. Escargot should not be eaten. <laughs> I think for the only reason that any type of cold— um, sub sub mammal that goes on the ground is fucking filthy. Even if you scrub that little snail down, because you know that kid and all some kid in Australia ate a slug and got some sort of brain spirochete and died three years later. Spirochete sounds bad. Uh, spirochete is one of my favorite words. Come that, but, wow. I don't what, is, it, what is a spirochete? Spirochete like a... syphilis is a spirochete. It's Ooh. a certain shape uh, virus that is shaped like a spiral. And well, I think it know, fucking Hitler burrows. Hitler had syphilis, so if you eat a snail, you could turn into Hitler. He had syphilis? That's but a theory. That's common. Oh, yeah, really? That's, that's a theory. God, there's so many theories. Don't they also think he had a small dick or something? Uh, a I tiny believe, dick? I, no, he had one ball or <laughs> something. I don't know. There's lots of lots of theories. Yeah. What a weird guy. He, he was an odd duck. <laughs> Jesus. Adolf. Should we play a little music here? Yes, please. I was really excited about the songs you sent me because I'm like, I kind of knew you were into all this shit. 
And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, you you uh you recognize some Oh all some this hits all there. this except for um the first one you sent me, which is Luke Haynes and the Auteurs. Yeah, yeah. So should we listen to this? What what is this? Yes. Luke Haynes is one of the great songwriting geniuses of the last fifty years. He's was a, he in a band? He was in, in a band called The Auteurs. Okay. And then also was a songwriter for Black Box Recorder. Oh, okay. He's like this very very English. Very English. Right, very, very English. I love Black Box Recorder, so now that makes sense. This is Satan Wants Me. This is goth in a sense. This is making fun of the occult. Huh? That's, he started off with Aleister Crowley. The addict's sweet Kabbalah at the lunch. Kenneth Anger. It's a good LA reference. Yeah. Did you say fuck you? No, Satan wants me, not you. <laughs> he's, he's making fun of the, uh, you know, super serious, yeah. super serious occult people. See, I don't know about Rasputin, but there's so many people I don't know about in this, in this world. He was an interesting guy. This is very dandy-ish. Yes. It's got a bit of a fop to it. You'll, you'll find that every song I gave you has that vibe <laughs> to it. It's... it's, it's... I have a good friend, uh, Tyler Rabbit. He's a magician. Oh yeah. At the match, he just performs yeah, I, magic. I, I think I've heard of him. He's a coin magician. Yeah. And he's old school goth, like you know, hardcore, and all the stuff that he really likes has this sound. And it's always like, I love how consistent some of the stuff is in that in that sense. It always has that kind of. I don't know. It's got the kind of like kind of snide uh, British thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Like a weird sort of face swagger. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, the Jarvis Cocker face yeah. swagger thing. Yeah. Totally. We should play this Black Box Reporter song. That's a that's a rough one. I want to, because this is something I got. You've I got heard it, that one, right? I think I have. You know I got it to them in college, but I don't remember this one exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a. Oh yeah. It's a harsh. It's a, it's a slap in the face spiritual teaching. That song. It's a very dark song, isn't it? It's very dark. This is Child Psychology by Black Box Recorder. God, I forgot how good this band was. So good. They just put out a box set of all their stuff. Ironic, I guess. <laughs> Recordings in the black box. I stopped talking when I was six years old. Shit's so good. I didn't want anything more to do with the outside world. I was happy being quiet. But of course, they wouldn't leave me alone. My parents tried every trick in the book. 
From speech therapists to child psychologists, they even tried bribery. I could have anything, as long <laughs> as I said it out loud. I forgot how good this is. This is so fucking heavy. Kill yourself or get over it. <laughs> Straight to it. Yes. Life is that message is not very PC. It's it's yeah, heavy but true. Uh-huh. Heavy but true. Sometimes people need a little sobriety. Yeah. Of course this episode didn't last forever. What do you say I've to someone point and it was time to move on. who says to you that that's bullshit? That's like, like, you know, like some, I don't know, I, I don't know who would say it, but let's just say like someone who works at BuzzFeed. <laughs> be like, oh we're, opening, we're opening a can of, uh, a can of Twitter outrage. I mean, I would, I think at this point, if anything happens on Twitter at all, it's good because it's uh, it's dying. It's a dying medium. So. Oh, wow. I see. I never put any effort into Twitter because I just looked at it and I was like, cost, benefit, yes. cost, benefit, cost, potential, really high, benefit, not that much. The cost so. is going, it went up and I think it's going down now just because it's essentially just what Facebook has become. It's like just, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing but politics and, and tiny people screaming. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, but I guess there has been some repercussions for some people, but Mm. that's why, but that's, so what what would you say to someone who's like that phrase, obviously this is a song that's being, it's like a a Dandy Warhol song, you know, uh, (laughs) <laughs> that dandy phrase. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it cuts straight to the core of things, you know, in the sense that we we live on a traumatized planet full of traumatized people. Right. Right. Like this is, you know, there's lots of great stuff happening on Earth. It's wonderful. But there's also a lot of bad stuff on this planet. Yeah. And that's kind of part of what happens when you come here. It's like there's trauma. You want to come to Earth? All right. You're just going to be some scary parts. And uh, that can be really bad for some people. And right. I think that ultimately we just have to, it's like what I said with meditation. When you become very good at meditating, you realize that, you know, it's a truism, but you can, You sometimes you don't get to choose what happens to you, but I hate saying truisms like this, but you can choose your reaction to it. Yeah. And you don't have to, a lot of times things happen, mm-hmm. but you get to decide what they mean and you get to decide to decide what the story you construct about it is. So it's very easy and we're very encouraged to do it. We especially our generation, ever since the nineties with like Maury Povich and like Donahue and stuff like yeah. that. Like everyone was encouraged to develop their own victim narrative. Yeah. And to develop to create a story that is a cage for them. And it's another control mechanism. And particularly when you get good at meditating, you just see through it. Right. And it doesn't mean that trauma doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that bad things doesn't happen. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be justice. Right. But we need to take control of our own experiences, I think. What would you say if someone said, like, uh, I'm just being devil's advocate because it's fun. Uh, if someone's <laughs> like, well, that's easy for you to say because of, you know, you've had it this way. It's been easy for you. So right. it was easy for you to say. People say that kind of shit a lot. Right. And it's always, there's not much you can really say. At least there's nothing, nothing I can really think that makes sense to say. Uh, and probably, I probably wouldn't anyways, because if you're someone saying that, then it's like, well, if you're saying that, you're probably not going to understand anything I'm going to say. Right. Or take it at faith. You're just going to not listen to me. But what, 
What if you had to write like a letter or something, something that wouldn't be immediately refuted in conversation? What would you say to that well, sort of statement? You know, I never like to get into the whole thing of, you know, my pain versus your pain. But, you know, right. I, I've, you know I've, I've gone through abuse. I've gone yeah. through violent, you know, very violent things. I've gone through, um, you know, pretty significant trauma. What if you hadn't, though? Let's just say you have. Let's just say you're like squeaky, squeaky clean McBrain over here. Squeaky clean McBrain. Who it's came good to have a good brain? Hedge fund manager who grew up with a trust fund. Right. Well, you know what? I think that maybe that's a little extreme because that's sort of detestable. <laughs> well, I think that you know it's it's funny. I had a, I was very angry for a long time, particularly about the class structure in society yeah. and inequality and things like that. And and just from having certain psychedelic experiences, it was made very, very clear to me and life experiences. You know, like I was, over, for instance, uh, when I was in, just out of college, I was over in India and I was confronted with people dead on the street. I was right. confronted with... Um, Open D. things like, what was that? Open D, open defecation. Open, open <laughs> it's one D. one of my favorites. Yes. Uh, I was confronted with dying infants. Right. You know, uh, that nobody was, you know, that were just being ignored. You know, I was confronted with, if you want to see suffering, you know, it's not on Tumblr, go to India. Like, you will see how little value life has there. Wow. It's truly shocking. It's true. You know, you see the lepers, you see people yeah. missing eyes and arms and teeth begging in the gutter, and people are just, you know, throwing you know, open D at them. Right. And it's, um, that's, it's, it's, it's truly shocking. You know, I sat on the side of the Ganges just watching people burn bodies for a week. Wow. And, and then I came back here and for all the poverty and inequality, and there is serious poverty in America. You want to see poverty, go to Appalachia, the backwoods mm -hmm. where I've been. And oh, yeah. there's unbelievable levels of poverty that is just totally invisible to people and people aren't talking about online and things like that. But, um, and, you know, there's some, some awful stuff in this country. But, and at that time, because I've been confronted with that, I was so, maybe for a decade, I was so angry at, oh, how can people in America have so much and do so little for the rest of the world and not yeah. see it? And how can those two things coexist? Right. But I think that softened just through my own further experiences of life and interacting with people and also some psychedelic experiences where it became very clear to me everybody suffers, you know, it's like, it's the whole Buddhist thing of like the, you know, suffering, the first noble truth, everything contains suffering. Yeah, That's true. I mean, life, we're all going to die. We're all going to be uh, subjected to old age uh, suffering and mm -hmm. disease and death. And people who you think have a bunch now, they're not going to in a few decades. They may lose it all. They may lose it to greedy children in a lawsuit. They may yeah. lose it to, they may, you know, somebody who's a rich hedge fund manager in 15 years may have Alzheimer's and not remember their wife's name. You know, yeah. it's like everything change. Everything is in a constant state of change. And because of that, because we cling to external appearances and think they're real and try to hold on what is going to change no matter what, either for better or worse, we suffer because we think we can control reality. But the reality is suffering just is it's it's part it's like suffering is a river that runs through everything so that i think kind of softened me and in the sense it softened me in the sense of i didn't you know it just became harder to point to anything outside of me and say oh well if those rich people gave up all their money everything would be fine you know yeah. because i don't think that's really true you know and people critique spirituality in that because there is a bit of an insidious element to spirituality where it's a little bit pacifying 
And it's kind of like, well, you mean but... thinking those thoughts are pacifying because it's sort of like, oh, if you have that sort of Buddhist mentality where everything is terrible, it's just the nature for suffering to be a part of life. For there to be life, there has to be suffering. Then, then uh, I see what you're saying. So, it's, and you don't address actual things in the yeah, world. Yeah, because you're, it's sort of like you talk, well, like, like in India, because that's obviously they have, that's a very spiritual country. And right. yet they have all these problems that are very open and very bad. Right. So, and in that case, clearly, you know, spirituality is not the fix. The fix is clean water, mm-hmm. plumbing, sanitation. Um, uh, you know, the, the fixes are economic and yeah. infrastructure and, you know, polio vaccines and things like that. And uh, so, uh, and India is becoming a superpower now. It's changed right. very, very rapidly. Uh, they got nukes. Oh, they have They've lots had of nukes. Yeah, with Pakistan. Been, they've been had nukes. That's the, big, the world's biggest nuclear frontier, I think, uh, India and Pakistan. So uh, things so... are very different now. Every, it's, very, it's a very tech-oriented culture. Right. Um, but you're talking about pacifying, though, because they're really interest me because I think about that stuff a lot. And it's one of those things where I can't quite rectify how I think about it and feel about it with what is what is, you know, current life and how things are tactile, like the tactile yeah. sense of of uh, experience. Well, the first thing I think is that it's a mistake to make a distinction between spiritual and material. They're the mm-hmm. same thing. They're different registers of the same phenomenon. Okay. Right? So they're all, like I was saying with the body and the mind, it's all the same. There's only one thing. There's yeah. no difference between things. Um, but I, I it, it, you know, to take it back to the sixties, for instance, in the sixties, there were student revolutions that swept across the whole world. And there was this big, uh, you know, uproar of, you know, basically Marxist revolution mm-hmm. uh, in France and Mexico. And there were the 68 student riots, riots in France. There were student riots in Mexico where students were killed in a, in a coliseum by the police. There was obviously here it happened. And that was very terrifying to the powers that be. And so the next thing that you saw is people coming out and saying like, oh, why don't you meditate? Here's some psychedelics. No, go within. If you want to solve the world's problems, inquire within and here's mm-hmm. a bunch of you know mysticism and and it's kind of it's and it would be easy to step back from that and say it's kind of like people like putting a virtual reality helmet on you and saying well just deal yeah. with virtual reality you know and and everything's fine in there you know drop out tune in turn on drop out well when you drop out like who does that serve it doesn't you know it pacifies you right it, you know so so but these i mean these are real tensions that I've had that I've tried to reconcile for a long time. I don't necessarily have a glib answer for it. However, I will say that the conclusion I've currently come to about it, Mm -hmm. the most important thing is to stop projecting your own shit on other people, right? (laughs) When you meditate, when you own your own things, the world becomes much more peaceful and your life gets better and you stop thinking that the world is out to get you. There's really only one choice, I I think, in human life. And that's whether whether you believe you live in a friendly universe or an unfriendly universe. Right? Does is the universe friendly or mm-hmm. is it hostile? Right? And if you feel it's hostile, it's going to be hostile. Well, you're going to live very different lives. You're going to feel. You're going to be defensive and tense, and you're going to worry. You're going to have anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, but if you believe the opposite, you will have the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, I, I'll just share the conclusion I've come to for myself. I don't know if it's the right one for everyone, but the conclusion that I've come to for myself is to go through the spiritual process to heal and integrate myself as much as possible, to become as fully human as possible, mm-hmm. 
it's not about becoming Aleister Crowley. It's about becoming fully human. Right? Yeah. Like when I was young, I was like, oh, it's about becoming some goth wizard overlord. Yeah. No, it's about becoming fully human and healed and, and integrated and complete as a person. That's it. Right. And toilet trained. And uh, <laughs> that's all it is. And, and, and then ask myself, well, what do I truly want to do with my life? You know, instead of reacting to, oh, I have to fight that because it's bad. Well, okay, if that wasn't there, what would you actually want to do with your life? All right, well, do that and be a good example. That's the conclusion that I've come to for myself. Interesting.